Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus goes on here in his Sermon on the Mount, and he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Notice how Jesus begins this section how does he say it? What does he say about fasting? When. when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. And he says it again in verse 17. He says when you fast, anoint your head and wash your feet. So uh, wash your face. I mean, and so here we again, we see uh, he says when you fast. And I want you to see that fasting was a part of Old Testament life. It was commanded by the law of Moses on the day of atonement. There, there's other fasts in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a couple. But one of the things I want you to see is that the, the, on the Day of Atonement, they were all to fast. But I want you to see it, because it's a very interesting way that it's put here in the ESV. Go to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to see verses 29 through 31. Leviticus 16, verse 29 and it says, And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you, to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It's a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It's a statute forever. Where's the word fast? Yours says, humble yourselves. Humble your soul, okay? Where's the word fast? It says, afflict yourselves. Yours says, afflict. Yours says, deny. Yeah. Actually, this afflicting yourselves, it's fasting. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Psalm 35. In Psalm 35, verses 11 through 14. And by the way, if you've ever fasted, that afflicting yourself starts to make a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Psalm 35, look at verses 11 through 14. Psalmist says, Malicious witnesses rise up, rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with what? With fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. So as we kind of lay the foundation of where we're going to go, because we're going to go very, very deep tonight in this study of fasting. As you know, my desire to teach you on something is not to just take one passage and then try to teach you from that, but to use the whole of Scripture that, and come together for a more correct and understanding and interpretation. So as we deal with fasting tonight, we're only going to cover these three verses, 16, 17, and 18 of Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be putting together the whole of Scripture. So i got to lay the foundation for you. Jesus started off by saying, when you fast. So, was Jesus commanding that fasting should continue? Yes. It existed in the Old Testament. We know that there was fasting on the Day of Atonement. There were other fasts, which we'll talk about in a little bit. We see here now that fasting included afflicting yourself in some way. 
It, it, it wasn't pleasant. It was a little painful at times. It was also, did you know that Jesus fasted? For 40 days and 40 nights. Go to Psalm, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4. Look at verses 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. We studied last time we were together about how he was led of the Father, of the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tested and tempted. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, let me just say this. Did the he was hungry have to be put in there? I think you get the, but again, every word's God breathed. Don't hear me say it, those words shouldn't be there. But I think you get the idea. 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So now you're saying, okay, Jim, are we supposed to fast 40 days and 40 nights? Is that what we're supposed to do? Ken, be careful. As I prayed at the beginning, and I want you to hear me, as you're going to find by the end of the night, this thing about fasting is going to be something the Spirit of God is going to individually lead you into and through, and it's going to have its purposes in each of our lives and it's going to be an individual thing. It's not going to be a thing that everybody has to do it the exact same way in the exact same time. There's a purpose for fasting, and you're going to get to why later on tonight. I'm going to be, warn you to be careful of trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit and tell other people, well, I, I do this, and you need to do it too. No, whose job is that? That's the Holy Spirit's job, not yours. Yet at the same time, what I want you to understand is many Christians don't even understand fasting. Many Christians don't practice fasting. We're going to deal with the whole depth of it tonight. So, he says, when you fast, it was an Old Testament thing. Jesus himself fasted. Did you know that we see New Testament fasting a lot, actually? Go to Acts chapter 13. Look at verses 1 through 5. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, it says, And now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and set them off, sent them off. So here we see in the church there in Antioch. I don't know fully if the whole church was practicing this fasting, but we definitely know that these leaders in the church were. The elders in the church, for those of you that were here on Sunday when I taught on this and about God's design for leadership in the church, he's the, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of those saints for the work of the ministry. And here we see in the church in Antioch, there were at least five elders in the church. Some were prophets, others were teachers. And they were practicing fasting and prayer. And in the process of practicing fasting and prayer, they heard God specifically give them an answer to a prayer or an instruction that's about something they weren't even praying about. And they heard God say, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I have. And they finished their fasting and their prayer, laid hands on them and sent them off. Go to Acts chapter 14. You're in chapter 13. Go over to chapter 14. Look at verse 23. Acts chapter 14 verse 23 says this. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here again we see prayer and fasting being practiced in the New Testament church after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's going to be important later on. 
because I'm going to bring up an interesting question for you tonight to wrestle with. But here we see in the New Testament church, Jesus not only say when you fast, we see Jesus do it. We see the New Testament elders and leaders in the church practicing fasting. But fasting wasn't always just saying no to food. I don't know if you know that or not. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verses 1 through 5. Paul writes to the Corinthian church there, and he says in chapter 7, verse 1, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Now the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive each other or one another sexually, it's meaning here, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to what? To prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here the Bible actually says that sexually women should never say, whether or not the husband can have sex, and the husband should not be in the same way. You should never use that as a weapon against each other. But there are times that you should, for God's purposes, for some reasons we're going to get to in a little bit, in both in agreement, say no to those desires for a little while so that you can pray and seek the Lord. It's a type of fasting. A fasting was to say no to not just food, but also to pleasures, the flesh. As you're going to see, it's a way of us learning how to practice the Holy Spirit being in control of us and not our flesh being in control of us. Some of you have problems with your flesh. Some of you have a problem sometimes saying no to your flesh and your temptations and your desires get to hold of you. You need to practice fasting. But we're going to get into it more. Don't, don't run ahead. We're not even close to getting you off, send you off to fast yet. We get a lot more to teach on it. Fasting, though, even though it has a purpose, which we're going to get into tonight, and it has power, it lost its meaning to most of the Jews as it became ritualistic, and their hearts did not match their outward actions. In other words, the Jews began practicing fasting very faithfully, but the purpose of fasting was not being accomplished because they put their faith in their fasting instead of in the one who was determining the fast and the purpose of the fast, and you can be a person that fasts. But if it has no effect on you and it's God's not allowed to do his work in your heart, well, good for you. So you fasted and you're going to hear God pretty much say those same words. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 58. In Isaiah chapter 58, look at verses three through six. People cry out to God. They say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, God says, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this fast that I choose 
to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? The nation of Israel says, we've been fasting and it doesn't seem like it's doing any good because we don't feel like you're hearing us. God says, let me just tell you about this fast that you have, you guys. You guys are practicing fasting, but your hearts aren't in it. You're going through the motions. And on the day that you fast, you can see right there, he says, on the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress your workers. You treat people poorly. On the day of your fast, you, you hit each other. Can you imagine someone who's fasting but that whole day, they're just really, really nasty to you. Yeah, they might be hangry, hungry and hangry at the same time. But at the same time, what good is the fast if it's not accomplishing its purpose? And God said to the nation of Israel, yeah, you guys are fasting. But it's not the fast I called. Actually, you've got to keep in mind, God will never be impressed with what you do. The nation of Israel was in trouble before God in the book of Micah. And God set up a courtroom scene, and he pretty much played judge and jury and declared them guilty. They cry out, and they said, what, what, what should we do? Do you want us to sacrifice so many rivers of oil? And, and they even get to the point where they say, do you want us to give our firstborn, the fruit of our body, for the sin of our soul? And God says, he's shown you, O oh man, what he wants, but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. David himself, when he sinned and with Bathsheba and came to repentance, finally cried out and he said, you don't desire sacrifice, I would give it. Folks, if you're thinking that fasting, God's going to be impressed because you fasted, you put your faith in your fasting and not in him, you're wasting your time. And so the people of the Old Testament did fast, but they didn't fast like they were supposed to and for the purposes of the fast and it lost its meaning which we should not be surprised in the church today that it's lost its meaning. Go to Zechariah chapter 7. By the way, can anybody tell me as we're turning there to Zechariah 7, how what God says is an acceptable fast? In verse 6, I'm going to read it to you again from Isaiah 58. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and let the oppressed go free? Why did God consider that fasting? Anybody have any idea? Putting others before yourself. Very good, Thomas. In other words, saying no to your flesh and yes to the Spirit. Saying no to your desires and your wishes. That's what God's looking for here when we talk about fasting. And it, He wants it to affect our hearts and our souls and if it's just an outward thing, it doesn't do you any good. Zechariah chapter 7, look at verses 1 through 14. It says, In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent, sh sh try again, Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? They used to practice a fast in the fifth month because they had been taken captive in that month and they decided that they were going to, every fifth month, they're going to have a fast to commemorate when they were uh, taken captive and they're going to call out to God. And so they're like wanting to hear from God. So does he want us to fast, abstain in the fifth month as I've done for so many years? And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? 
And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these words of the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets and when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the wicked widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts, as I called and they would not hear. So they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land was left desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. They said, what does God want us to do? Does he want us to fast like we've been doing in the fifth month? God says, I've been paying attention. You've been fasting in the fifth and the seventh month. These whole 70 years you've been in captivity. Oh, but your heart never changed. Do you actually think you're going to get right with me by you doing certain actions that look impressive and look spiritual? I know your heart. I also called to you and you wouldn't listen. So you just called to me and you expect me to listen now? But again, he goes in and he says, Here's what I wanted you to do. Don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor. Don't devise evil against one another in your heart. Didn't we talk last week about the fact that Jesus had just said, if you don't forgive others, your heavenly father won't forgive you? Folks, too many people in the church today even have that same mindset where I go to church. I tithe. I'm there Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. Yet at the same time, as you've heard me say before, I've been pastor for many years and have been leaders of people in churches who have been faithful and committed for 50 years. And they'll have a banquet for the deacon who's been a committed deacon for 50 years. He's been faithful. He did nothing by faith. He was a grumpy old curmudgeon and no one wanted to be around him, but he was committed. And God says, you guys honor that hard work and diligence and apparent righteous outward acts. I'm looking at everybody's heart. And you know, when we show up on Sunday, we tend to look at the people with the nice ties and the fancy clothes. But there might be somebody that's sitting there in the back row who's saying, God, I need you. God, my life's a mess. God, I need you. And what does the Bible say? That's the person that he responds to. Not the person that has become very good at being religious. We're very good at speaking the Christian language. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Yet at the same time, after we say, hey, brother, hey, sister, we think to ourselves, I can't believe she wore that. They're in my seat. Did I just go from preaching to meddling? I'm sorry. Go, go to Luke chapter 18. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, look at verses... 9 through 14. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Is anybody starting to catch the purpose of fasting? It's to humble yourself. It's, it's a way of practicing saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. It's not something that God's impressed with. It's actually a way of him being able to get through to us. Because the things that are keeping us from being able to hear him. Has anybody noticed that fasting always was tied to prayer? There's a connection there. It's a way for you to be able to hear God. But, but isn't he always with me? Yeah, he's always with you, but we grieve and we quench him through lots of things. Fasting in many forms are ways to say no to what you want and yes to him. You, some of you might feel God call you to a television fast for a season. Some of you might be called to a computer fast for a season or a Instagram fast or a Twitter fast. Again, it's not for me to determine what the fast should be. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But you're going to hear the Holy Spirit take you down a journey of learning to say no, but then filling that time with yes. No to yourself and yes to him. I'm going to ask you a question. Are some of you going through some things and, well, you really need to hear from God right now? Maybe he's challenging you tonight to practice fasting. Because that's where the connection gets real clear. Sometimes God puts us in those situations. <laughs> I've been a few times in my life put in a hospital where they control my intake. By the way, I've, I've hated that part, you know. I mean, when sometimes I've been in the hospital. There was a time in Chicago that uh, they thought I had a heart attack and God was doing something to get my attention. And also, uh, it happened when I was pastor here at Indian Atlantic one time. And by the way, if they think you're having a heart attack, you're going to be in there for 24-hour observation and you're on the heart attack diet, no salt, no sugar, all this kind of stuff. By the way, that's a type of fast, but he called it, not me, you know. Uh, but I will tell on my wife, she's about to shake in her head. She snuck me a Whopper one back time in Chicago. I was, I was, I knew I was fine. We were newlyweds. She's already said, I will never do that again. And I tried. When I was in the hospital in October with the blood clots, I said, please bring me a Whopper. They're killing me here. And she's like, nope, never again. But when we were young married, she snuck me a Whopper into the hospital there in Chicago. And I'm in the hot heart wing having a Whopper in my bed. And the nurse walks in, sees it, turns right around and says, I didn't see anything. She says, buzz me when you're done, you know. Sometimes God will put you in a situation where he gets you to realize you have to say no to yourself because you're broken. But he'd rather you humble yourself. You just catch that whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be, will be exalted. You're going to be humbled either way. Let God lead you in a life of practicing saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Are we under laws? No. Are there prescribed fasts in the New Testament? No. But there's value in still practicing it. Now, the depth of the purpose of fasting, though, is made even more clear from something Jesus said about fasting as recorded in Matthew 9, 
Mark 2 and Luke 5. We're going to read all three of those accounts. It's the same account, but there's a depth here, and it's no accident that they're all very, very similar. So go to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to go a little bit deeper now. Because Jesus teaches a little bit more about fasting here. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. It said, Then the disciples of John came to Jesus and saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a, a worse tear is made. Neither is, a, is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Go over to Mark chapter 2. Look at verses 18 through 22. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The, the, to, to, to from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Go to Luke chapter 5. Look at verses 33 through 39. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable, No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Have you noticed that the parable of the new and the wine old skins is in each account? There must be something here. And you will find very rarely episodes of Jesus' life in all the Gospels. Actually, the only two episodes of Jesus' life that are in all four are the feeding of the 5,000 and, of course, His crucifixion. But interestingly enough, this is in three of them. So there must be something here. They came to Jesus and they said, hey, John's disciples are fasting, the Pharisees' disciples, and they're fasting. How come your disciples aren't fasting? And Jesus says, can they fast when the bridegroom, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom's there? That's kind of silly. But he's going to be going away, and then they'll fast. And then he tells the story about, well, the parable about the piece of cloth, the patch, on an unshrunk patch on an old garment. 
And then he talks about the new wine and the old wineskins and how if you know it's new wine, it's going to continue to ferment and it's going to burst the old wineskins that have already reached their elasticity. You need to put new wine in new wineskins. This passage has bothered me for years. You know why? Because Jesus said, can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them? But when he goes away, then they'll fast. But yes, he was with them. And yes, he died on the cross. And yes, he rose from the dead. And he appeared for 40 days to them and taught them. But then he went to the Father. And he is coming back. But didn't he send his spirit to be with us? Hasn't he come to indwell me? For years I've been like, Lord, but you are here. You're within me. If you're within me, why do I need to fast if the bridegroom's here? But doesn't the Bible say we're still waiting for the bridegroom to come? And the flesh is still here. Did you catch it? I heard him over here. We still got the old wineskin. Our flesh. If you try to live out, listen closely, if you try to live out the new things of the Spirit through the old way of doing it in the flesh, it ain't going to work. Do you think you can patch up your flesh with a patch? No, you've got to receive the new wine in new wineskins. But anybody here ready to get rid of this old body? Me too. Um, but if you're going to have it tomorrow... What do we need to do? We need to practice fasting where we put away the old way. Say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. In a sense, receive the new things of the spirit through the spirit. And that's what fasting does. There are going to be times when you sense the spirit of God wanting to take you deeper. He's wanting to give you even more understanding and, and revelation and insight, illumination. But you can't receive it until he gets you ready to receive it. Has anybody ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed in times in your life that where you had the biggest growth in your understanding of your walk with the Lord and your knowledge of the Lord is through some kind of a trauma or a trial or some kind of... He had to get you to go through something in order to be able to understand the deeper level. Paul says, I want to know Christ in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Paul says, I beat my body. King James used to say buffet, but I, I misunderstood that part. But actually, it was buffet. I just thought it said buffet. But no, I buffet my body. I beat my body to, 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 say, to, to bring it under control. Folks, the Spirit of God is going to be challenging you every now and then to practice a type of fast, however He leads you, on a regular basis so that you will learn to continue in that close walk. I'm striving in my life to do that. I, my wife and kids will tell you, I try to talk to God all the time. The Bible says pray without ceasing. I read a book years ago by Brother, Brother Lawrence on pra the practice of the presence of God where he learned how to communicate with God as, and I talk to God while I'm preaching even. And as you do, you learn when the flesh is in control and when the spirit's in control. And you may find some areas and some times that the Spirit of God wants to have you learn to say no. 
Because as much as He's with us still, we're still a long, we all still long for the day when He shall appear, don't we? I hope you do. Let me take you to a couple of scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So, I'm going to show you scripturally, you can't say to yourself, well, the Lord's with me now, so I don't need to fast. Well, then what do these verses mean? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Paul says, They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Yes, Jesus is in you. Yes, you've been given His Spirit. Yes, His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. But daily we have to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. Daily we have to practice a type of fasting, if you will, where we learn to say on a daily basis, not my will, but yours. Titus, you're in 1 Thessalonians. Jump over to Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through 13. Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, I love that, we're in the process still, don't think you're there, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you see that? We're in the process right now of learning how to, well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You choose on a daily basis whether he'll be in control or not. You choose whom you're going to be slaves to obey, whether it's the spirit or the flesh. And so we're in that process of learning to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Go to 2 Timothy. You're in Titus. Back up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verses 6 through 8. Paul realized at this point it's time for him to go to heaven. He says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have, what? Loved his appearing. Remember what Jesus said back in, in, in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5? When he was there, it wasn't a time for fasting because he was there. But he was going to go away and then they'll fast. Is he with you all the time? Yes, but at the same time, we still have this struggle. That's why we saw last week, Jesus told him in the garden, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But those who think by their own actions and their own good deeds, that they are righteous because I do these things? Those are the kind of people I don't like to be around in church. I don't mind the people that are willing to say, honestly, not fake humility, I'm a mess. But it's one thing to say you're a mess, it's another thing to say yes to the Lord, too. There's some people who say, oh, I'm just the way I am, you know, it's just I'm a mess. Well, are you growing in your walk with the Lord? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Or are you just happy being a mess? There's more, though. As God moves us from the old covenant to the new, from law to grace, from old wine to new wine, 
We cannot receive the new wine in the old manner, nor in the old containers. Fasting helps us empty ourselves of the old way of our fleshly efforts and prepares us to receive His grace. But does anybody remember from last week's lesson, or two weeks ago's lesson, we were to receive the bread. I left the word off. Give us this, I heard it, daily bread. Listen closely, I'm going to say it again. Fasting helps us empty ourselves of the old way of our fleshly efforts and prepares us to receive His daily grace. In other words, when we fast, we're saying no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. Fasting is not some outward act we do to patch up our lives. The fasting of the Pharisees had nothing to do with the gospel. It was merely ritualistic and had no power or value. Go to Colossians chapter 2 and let's read this section of Scripture with a new eyesight hopefully tonight. Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse 16. We'll go verses 16 through 23. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Boy, we could just spend the rest of tonight right there. How many of us were told that Sunday's the Sabbath, and we had to obey the Sabbath, and... And how you couldn't eat out and you couldn't play golf. And I was raised that you couldn't play games until afternoon and they had to be board games that were quiet. And how many of us were raised to try to be righteous in our actions, in our deeds. And we tried. But every one of us had to admit we sensed something in our spirit wasn't right. And all along the scripture said, don't let anybody judge you on whether or not you keep a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. That's harsh treatment of the body, by the way. And worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that's from God. By the way, the passage I preached on on Sunday here in the church was Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that they will no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, but they will all grow up into him who is the head, which is Christ. And then it goes on and says very similar, the body, when it all is working together, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. My desire and my role is to get you to grow in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, which will manifest itself in a love for each other. And that's all we should be worrying about. Watch out for those people that say, yeah, but if you do these things, you'll be more holy. If with Christ, verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Pretty clear, isn't it? Just saying no to the flesh is not going to do it. Just saying no to the flesh isn't going to do it. If you and your wife try to practice 1 Corinthians 7 by for a season saying no to sexual relations, but you, all you do is say no to sexual relations, 
and don't fill it with the new wine, I promise you, it's going to get worse, whatever issue you're praying about. It's going to get worse. So if you're fasting because you think you'll be more righteous, if you do, your faith is in your fasting. But if you fast every so often to empty yourself or to put off the old self so that you can hear God clearly, it will help you focus your mind and your mind will be set where? On what? You just said on things above. Why did you say on things above? Yep, very good, Philippians 4, 8. But actually, you might not have realized it. I just finished reading where? In Colossians chapter 2, verse what? 23. And when Paul wrote it, he didn't stop and say, I'm going to put a big number three here now. What's the very next verse? Do you see it? You're saying no to the flesh. That's okay. But if you're putting your faith in saying no to the flesh, you're totally missing it. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, remember? We're to be growing up into Him who is the head. We're all to be getting closer to Jesus. The purpose of the fasting is to grow closer to Jesus. And if your desire is to grow closer to Jesus, you don't care if anybody knows if you do it or don't. Because your desire is to get closer to Jesus. That's the whole point. Do you know how cool it would be to be a group of a, a part of a group of people in a church that only wanted to grow closer to Jesus? That was their desire. Boy, wouldn't that be neat? Because as I've been trying to teach the folks here as I'm transitional pastor to get them ready for their next pastor, we're going to focus on just two things. Getting closer to Jesus and loving each other. Actually, if we just focus on getting closer to Jesus, the loving each other is going to take care of itself. Godly men and women throughout history have practiced fasting when they needed to hear God clearly. Let me, let me take you through that. Again, you're about to see fasting's been all in the Bible, and people have missed it. By the way, does anybody want to tell me why we've missed fasting in the Bible? <laughs> exactly, we don't like it. It's kind of like when you're going through the red light, and you know it's turning red, and you flip the visor down, and you say, well, I didn't see that. You know, and you just go to, ne I mean, I've just seen people do it. Nehemiah <laughs> chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. I have a buddy of mine used to always say when he went through a red light, it was orange. It was orange. It really wasn't red yet. Go to Nehemiah chapter 1. How do I feel about Lent? Well, I'm going to say, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought this up. If, by the way, her question was, how do I feel about Lent? If you've never read A.W. Tozer's book, uh, the Pursuit of God. By the way, by the time you're done reading the book, you're going to find out, you read it thinking it's the pursuit of God that we're pursuing God. It, by the end of the book, you realize the pursuit of God is God pursuing us. But in chapter 10, he deals with that whole sacred versus secular thing. We think that there are sacred things and secular things. But the Bible is very clear that everything's sacred. We're to do everything to the glory of God, whatever you eat or drink. And the Bible even says, watch out for those who say you have to practice certain days. So if you're asking Jim Johnson, my understanding of the scripture, I'm not really a Lent guy. And actually, I lived in New Orleans for years. And you know what is the day before Lent? Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, Went begins on Ash Wednesday, and then the day before is Mardi Gras when they say, tomorrow I'm going to have to give up chocolate, so tonight I'm going to do everything I'm, I want to do. It's, so personally, if you're just doing Lent because it's the ritual thing to do and you think you're getting closer to God because you walk around and you don't have to bathe that month or whatever, a week, listen, it doesn't do you any good. 
But the idea of saying no to the flesh, I got no problem with as the spirit leads you. But I'm, I'm glad you asked it. Actually, uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God in Chapter 10, he talks about the fact that we in the church practice all these weeks and days and years. And I'm going to say something that's going to make some of you mad. Some of you have been upset if the church doesn't have a good Friday service. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, we didn't know when we were well off. God blessed us and he gave us freedom. We don't have to have these things. But all of a sudden we make them and they become, they might have been even valuable and powerful at one time. But now all of a sudden it becomes, you didn't go to Good Friday service? Pastor, we're not having a Good Friday service? Years ago, I saw a cartoon one time where it was this pastor sitting dejected on the couch and his wife was consoling him. And she said, what's the matter, honey? And he said, well, we had 120 votes to keep the Sunday night service, but only 12 people showed up. <laughs> There's lots of people that will tell you what they think you ought to be doing, but they don't practice it themselves. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter 1 into, verse, into chapter 2. Listen, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Now in the 10th month, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I hadn't been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when, you will when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him time. And, the said, and, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of uh, the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Did anybody catch this yet? Did he begin fasting when the king asked him what was wrong or had he been already fasting? 
He had already been seeking God and praying to God about this concern. You got a kid that's not walking with the Lord? Pray. Fast. Beseech the Lord. By the way, that's why Jesus was able to just tell the demon, come out. When the other disciples couldn't. These kind of only come out by prayer and fasting. When you become a person who actually lives a life of saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, there's power in what you do. Because the spirit of God, who's in every one of us, has been allowed to have fuller control, if not full control, in your life. Oh, by the way, you're also going to notice that when you see stuff, you're also going to see yourself. You're going to see that in these prayers. Did you notice how Nehemiah didn't just pray about the sinning Israelites? I and my father's house have sinned as well. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Look at verses 1 and following. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azarharis, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who have spoken your name to our kings, or our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As to this day, as the, to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings and our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law. And, burned and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and the oath that were written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, as, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. 
By the way, does anybody know what happens next? Does anybody know what happens next? Remember, he's praying, he's fasting, he's confessing his sins and the sins of his people. Oh, while I was confessing, verse 20, and I speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sin of my people, God sent Gabriel to come and speak. Isn't that amazing? And God came and gave him the, the prophecy of the 77s. He got his answer from the Lord. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then, a, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. This is in the temple when Jesus is brought as a baby. We know Simeon is there and he was told by the spirit to go to the temple because he would see the consolation of Israel. And he told he wouldn't die until he had. Anna walked with God in that way as well. And she lived the life of fasting and prayer. By the way, she had been married, but then for a long period of time she wasn't. And she devoted herself to the Lord. And she had such an intimate relationship with the Lord when the promised Messiah, which had been prophesied about for hundreds of years, actually showed up on the scene. Guess who didn't miss it? Oh, I know that I'm going to receive a reward, Paul says, but not only me, but all who have longed for his appearing. Folks, are you still in your flesh? Are you still waiting for the bridegroom to return? Then we need to fast. But don't let man tell you how and when. That's legalism. But don't say, hey, he's with me already. I'm already good. No, the Bible shows us that it's a New Testament thing. Do you need to hear from God? Pray and fast. Do you need him to move in power in a certain situation you're praying about? Pray and fast longer and harder. Oh, you don't need to tell everybody you're fasting. They'll know by what God does in the lives of certain individuals, who are those who walk with God. But again, you've heard me say it before. He has no favorites. But he does have intimates. Again, like I said earlier, has anyone noticed that fasting is tied to prayer? Your situation in your Lord should determine when and how you fast. But do not fast in order to get God to do what you want him to. Let me say that again. Do not fast in order to get God to do what you want him to. I've heard too many Christians say, I fasted. Oh, you just said two things. One. You either were fasting in order to get God to move, so your faith was in your fasting, or you just set yourself up as judge over God because you did something and he didn't act the way you think he ought to have acted. I don't think either one you want to do because what you're going to find when you fast and pray is as you spend time praying and as you practice saying no to the flesh, the Spirit of God is going to do a work in your heart and he's going to make you more like Jesus and Jesus came out of his time of prayer and fasting and said, not my will, but yours. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. 
Look at verse 18. It talks about anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret, but, but, but by your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret, what? Possibly might, might, could, your heavenly father will reward you. He will answer. He will speak. I love you. We're not going to have Bible study next week because I'm going to be doing revival in Grant. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.